You are listening to the Enormocast. Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the Enormocast. And though I will be buried one day in a blown out pair of mirrors, if you're young and open-minded about trying hot new things like spam sushi or snail facials, just like it sounds, then Sportiva has two new kicks available this summer for you thrill seekers. The Squama, rhymes with your mama, is a high-performance Velcro slipper aimed at getting you boulderers up your sickest project. Sick, bro. And the Otaki, rhymes with Suvlaki, is an aggressive high-performance shoe designed to hold the downturn shape even after repeated lashings. And they also happen to heel hook like a three-legged monkey on a swing set. So check out your nearest high-end climbing retailer or Sportiva.com for these and all the classics. And remember, when you give Sportiva your business, you support the Enormacast. The Enormacast invites you to join former guest and friend of the show, Luke Mihal, on his personal journey from the stifling confines of life in the Midwest to the wide open spaces of the great American West. In his new book, American Climber, Mihal lyrically recounts his discovery and love affair with climbing, the desert, and freedom. If you're wondering where all the soul climbers have gone, then look no further than Luke Mihal's American Climber, available at Amazon.com or get in touch with Luke himself at ClimbingZine.com. I'm sure he'd love to chat. And if you're a lovely lady, he might even write you some too soon poetry. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, a big place. That's a big place. You're so good. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed climbing them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalous. It is June 26th, about 11 p.m. here in the Colorado Mountains. This is episode 107 of the Enormacast, a conversation with the mysterious Mike Lebecki. Is he mysterious? I don't know. We talk about that. He does wear wacky masks on top of mountains. That's a bit mysterious. Only business today on the intro is I want to once again remind you that the Lander Climbing Festival is coming up. That is coming up July 14th through the 16th or 17th or 15th, 16th, 17th, something like that. That weekend it is happening. All the things are happening. Dancing, speakers, climbers, climbing. Maybe you're climbing. Maybe it's too hot to go climbing. So you go to the crazy water slide up the uh, up Sinks Canyon or whatever. Lots of cool stuff going on up there. 
I'll be up there with the entourage. Please come say hi. That is the Climbers Fest information at climbersfestival.org. Go check that out. The other thing I want to remind you is that if you do love the Enormal Cast, or even if you only sort of like it, even if you're a bit lukewarm about the Enormal Cast, but you listen, you maybe you hate listen. Like I hate watch the last season of Walking Dead. I just got more angry at that show as it went on because everybody was acting so stupid. Quit walking backwards. Who walks backwards? No one in the real world walks backwards. And how do zombies who are normally so loud get quiet all of a sudden? I don't understand. Anyway, hopefully you don't hate listening to the Enormous Cast, but even if you do, if you listen, you can help out, you can donate, you can do all sorts of things to keep this thing going, including supporting our sponsors and putting up with those commercials. But please consider going to enormacast.com, clicking on the Help Out tab, and if you want to donate, there's all sorts of things you can do that just take a little bit of your time that help the podcast. So please consider doing that. The podcast rolls on like glaciers used to roll on before they uh, started melting. Anyway, we even talk about dead polar bears on this one. <sighs> oh, and while we're at it, you know, I haven't been able to fit in the commercials for uh, Peter Gilroy and uh, Belay Specs. So please remember that you can get fantastic climbing-inspired jewelry from Peter W. Gilroy at peterwgilroy.com. Awesome stuff, not just jewelry, hats, belt buckles, money clips. But yeah, go check it out even if you are uh, not quite into that stuff. It might it might blow you away. So besides, it makes great gifts for people. Enter Enormo at checkout for a discount at peterwgilroy.com. And don't forget Phil at belayspecs.com. Enter EnormoCast over there to get a discount on these amazing neck-saving devices. And remember, Peter and Phil are both the little guy out there making it happen, making a living in the climbing world. So support them, please. All right, let's get to it. Mike Lebecki. Mike Lebecki, amazing guy, like super overstokered all the time. I actually didn't know too much about Mike. His name just pops up now and again. Um, I think maybe the climbing world doesn't pay attention to him all the time because he's not always on climbing expeditions. But when he is, he's kicking ass and getting some serious stuff done in faraway places. First ascents all over the world. A lot of them done solo. A lot of them super big and super gnarly. Really fun to talk to this guy. He was very enthusiastic about doing the Enormous Cast, even though he wasn't super familiar with it. He was one of those guys that when I emailed him, I basically got a reply instantly that just said yes in capital letters. So I always love that. I always like the uh, the folks who are on board from the beginning. And I think we got a good one here. So hope you guys enjoy it and are inspired by this guy to go out and uh, get it done in your own life. And besides, Mike's also been adventuring with his daughter. And so that's inspiring to me because someday in the future when the normal baby's moving his limbs in a fashion that does not appear to be completely random we'll be out adventuring together ourselves all right to cop mike lebecki's catchphrase don't ration the passion people they're finally here folks the prettiest thing to ever be shoved in a crack the new black diamond ultralight c4 the featherweight camming champion of the world. 20 to 30% lighter than the old C4s, which means they're 20 to 30% 
more sick. The BD Ultralight Cams are more lightweight than bailing off the nose because you ran out of baby wipes. They're more lightweight than that kid from Provo who fell on the campfire after two beers in Indian Creek. True story. They're the device that's oh so nice and the cam that can handle the slam. If you dream of climbing with different cams, you should wake up and apologize. So check out BlackDiamondEquipment.com for the specs on these little beauties or head over to your nearest climbing retailer to fondle them with your own chubby knuckles. Put the cam down, sir. So uh, welcome to Carbondale. Well, it's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You ever been to Carbondale before? A couple years ago. Came in uh, five point. Oh, yeah? Pretty quick trip. What, what's your business here this time? Um, so I have a film today oh, at cool. five point. Yeah, called uh, Pumaka, and it's uh, Immaculate Jungle Mayhem, First Ascent. <laughs> cool film. Who'd, he, who'd you go on this trip with? So, um, Angie Payne. Oh, right. You must know Angie. Yeah, of course. She's been on the show. Yeah, Keith Ludzinski, Andy Mann. You know those guys? Three Strings? Yeah. Yeah, so super cool group of friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was cool. And what can I, the film is out for people to see yet, or are we, no, are we is it's, it on the uh, festival sort of festival it's, schedule? It's showing here at Five Point. It's, you know, it'll be at, at uh, Mountain Film Telluride, mm-hmm. Banff. You know, it's a pretty unique film, actually, even in the climbing world. I right. mean, we're talking deep jungle, rain every day, mud mayhem, you know, decent rock when, it, let's just say it was 100% wet the entire time. Right. When you can wring out your rope, Right. Ring out everything, literally. Right. Like, Squeeze 100%. Drips come there out. was not a dry piece of gear for you or know, over two weeks. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's a kind of environment you put, if you want to put out a shirt to dry, it's going to be more wet. Right. You know, even if it's not raining because it's humidity. It was, it was intense, man. We, you know, you, you, you've done all types of expeditions all over the world. Like, I mean, I keep reading like 50 plus expeditions. You're shooting for a hundred. Um, yeah. that sort of thing is climbing. Like, it seems like climbing is generally, I, I can't obviously say always, but generally like a big part of the core of the expedition. In other words, maybe the, the, the raison d'etre or however you pronounce that to, yeah. to go to some of these places. Is that pretty common um because i was you know it would take you day, me days to like run down your entire expedition yeah no um i mean skiing in antarctica with your daughter stuff like that yeah too, but so climbing the, seems to be like a big the majority of, of the the real when i went i'm going to define like a real expedition the, those are climbing based mm-hmm. Ex, exploration defined big first ascents okay um, and and you know untouched unexplored unclimbed virgin earth like really remote mm-hmm. and so there are some trips that are still an expedition um in a category that like yeah taking my 11 year old daughter to ski in antarctica that was real mm-hmm. that was very real deal or you know going with her to kilimanjaro and so but the ones that i focus on for myself whether it's solo or with specific partners it really does focus on virgin earth for sure mm-hmm. you know first ascents yeah. right and you grew up in the sierras I grew up, uh, gosh, less than 30 miles from Yosemite. Right, right. And then um, we lived in the mountains where, you know, the whole Bigfoot phase when I was growing up, you know, Bigfoot was out in the forest and, uh, you know, near Oakhurst. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. not far yeah, from just Yosemite. outside the valley, yeah. Yeah, and then um, there were too many rattlesnakes for my mom. So we moved down to Clovis, which is, you know, just right by the 
the foothills of the Sierra. Right. And then ended, ended up living there. Yeah. yeah. What did your first climbing look like? You know, the first climbing I did was out at these tabletop mountains near Clovis, mm-hmm. you know, and we'd just go out there and top rope and we didn't know what we were doing. We're t- making anchors with double overhand knots and just ridiculous. We didn't, we just went out and we're going for it. Right. You yeah. know, and at the top of the cliff, you know, we're hammering in huge stakes and like slinging around it and setting up top ropes. And, you know, I, f- I think my first pair of shoes was some Boreal Aces. Right. You know, my first harness I bought from Kurt Albert in Camp 4 parking lot. Oh, right on. It was like a hot pink polka dot little bikini harness and it, i still it's a, one piece of climbing gear for my entire life i still have it's that's pretty, awesome. pretty sweet yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, it was the 80s right we're talking no like- um so i'm 43 yeah and so i started climbing just near the end of high school so um late 80s yeah late 80s into early 90s kind of really got into it okay yeah so that's the hot pink era or at the end of it kind of yeah yeah and uh yeah no it was i was hooked immediately dude boreal aces were great shoes they were sweet freaking uh croft climbed in those things yeah 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 well i used to and you know shortly after starting climbing i ended up living in yosemite valley for like five summers Mm -hmm. and really not knowing anything about the climbing scene like i went there got a job in the mountain shop and really cut my teeth and started getting into it i didn't i really didn't know much and so i'm you know like all of us i think or most of us we're lucky to be alive after you know learning through some interesting mistakes you know yeah and so the night you'd have been there in the mid 90s right yeah and that that was kind of um you know there was this sort of re Surgence in like gnarly big wall climbing. I think the 90s, you know, they also the, there was a handful of people free climbing, like the Hubers showed up in the ni- 90s as well. And yeah, yeah. Lynn had done Late 90s, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is I mean, were you in that wave of like climbing you know, El Cap? And is that where you cut your big wall teeth? Cause it, yeah, I mean, so when I was in Yosemite, I wasn't like hanging out in Camp 4, like in sort of the climbing mecca, the climbing scene. I was like living up in the terrace. I had a job in the valley, you know, living up where all the the girls and all the women lived. Yeah. And like, you know, there was only two guy. two guys that lived up on the terrace. And you know, I you know, I had my friends, we were we were sort of loners, rebels, kind of the whole thing. We just kind of did our own thing and mm-hmm. um, you know, I would say the majority of climbing partners I had were from the board at Camp 4 from Austria, from Japan, from Korea. Like I would just go and, you know, people always put up looking for partner, looking for partner. Mm-hmm. And I would just connect with, you know, all kinds of different people from around the world. And then working in the mountain shop, you know, at that time there wasn't really any climbers working in there, which was kind of interesting. So I was the one in there who's, I was there to climb. Okay. Yeah. And so I'd always meet foreigners coming into the mountain shop, like looking at guidebooks or blah, blah, blah. And, and I would just end up mainly climbing with a lot of tourists and a lot, or a lot of people who are traveling there to climb. It was really right. pretty cool. Yeah, like not tourists, like, you know, you're just... Climbing tourists. Yeah, You know, exactly. people yeah. visiting right, Yosemite right. to climb at any level. Right. Like, you know, they're like, oh, I wonder, you know, how to find Snake Deck. I'm like, oh, I'll go run up there with you. Or, you know, I want to climb the, um, you know, Lunar Eclipse mm-hmm. on El Cap. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll do it with you. You know, it's just kind of like any opportunity of climbing... I was pretty psyched on right anything actually yeah it was pretty pretty cool. So when did you um, when did you sort of s- switch modes or like throw this uh, 
this expedition style thing into the mix? Yeah, so in Yosemite, of course, you know, climbing all the different formations, mm-hmm. free climbing, aid climbing, you know, from Ribbon Falls to Wadkins to all the, you know, every formation, every all the major formations. And then, um, you know, started soloing El Cap and learning how to aid solo and just kind of got psyched on it. Like, oh, this would be pretty cool. You know, seeing someone else soloing El Cap and, oh, I'd like to try that. And then just, you know, going down and training at Cookie Cliff and doing one pitch aid stuff or, um, and then, you know, so that was, you know, early mid nineties where sort of the big Baffin Island, you know, thing took off where, mm-hmm. you know, Baffin Island, the walls and, you know, people started going to Baffin and then that's what really started it for me was, I want to go to Baffin because that was kind of what was happening in the magazines. Like, Oh, you know, polar Sunspire and you know, all the, it, it was happening. Right. And so, um, yeah, I did my first trip to Baffin in 97 and then ended up going five years in a row to Baffin. Really? Yeah. So 97, 98, Yeah. It's five years in a row to Baffin. So what, you know, it seems like to me looking back at that era, um, and even, you know, there was just a film, in the the film festival yesterday, um, Shane and Dave's film yeah. about uh, climbing up there last year, or two years ago, whenever it was, yeah. you know, and and the Shane the the film is definitely a lot about a lot of the hardship of climbing up there. And I've known a fair few people who've gone up and they got their route done, ticked the Baffin Island thing, and maybe because of expense, maybe because of just the hassle of getting up there. Um, but also probably because it, it's a gnarly place to climb that's way out there. They, they call it good. So what was it about the place that, whether you were successful every time or not, that you just, yeah. you know, as you're riding out the, however you got in and out, whether it was snowmobile or boat or anything else, you were like, I'm coming back next year. Baffin created what I would call OECD. Okay. Okay. And that's obsessive expedition climbing disorder. Okay. And it, and it's not an exaggeration by any means from, you know, gosh, going on 20 years now, it really has been, my lifestyle is about going on expeditions and climbing first descents. But Baffin specifically, um, it's just so grand and so powerful and so beautiful. And you're on the frozen ocean or you're with the Inuit with the dog teams traveling over and there's polar bears and, and there's whales out at the flow edge and there's... I mean, it's, it just really was the first experience that I was captured by the true magic power and beauty of like a remote place. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a upset. I went back a couple years ago again for, for my sixth trip there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's just never gets old. It's, it's sort of like a love affair that I've had with Baffin where it was like, I just was in love. And then it was time to start seeing new places and new people uh-huh. but really i mean it's for me it's just i'd go back to bath at any time you know did you do solo missions up there yeah so i did in 99 i soloed the um the ship's prow okay yeah which is incredible formation right you know and so, but that, and that's the thing. Every trip I've done to Baffin has been different. Mm-hmm. So I went there, uh, with Josh Helling and Russell Mitrovich and, you know, we did the Walker Citadel, which is like, you know, 4,400 feet. I mean, you're talking when you do a wall that's thousand feet taller than El Cap, it's pretty incredible. And we spent like, you know, this was 98. So it was like the days of 
slow is fast capsule style mm-hmm. climbing. Mm-hmm. And we spent literally 30 nights without touching the ground on the side of the wall. Right. And, you know, half that time was spent in storms, but three guys in one portalage for that long. That's some memories that you can, you'll never forget. Yeah. But, and so, and then 99 was solo. So it was a different trip, a different challenge. Um, I went up there with uh, John Middendorf and a crew and we did like a TV show. So that was like a whole, you know, we climbed the fin. And so there was always a different sort of energy and vibe to go back to Baffin. Mm-hmm. And there's so much to do there. I mean, it's, uh, and then, well, one of the years it was, I was hired as a, a guide for the Red Bull base jumping team. Okay. And so, cause I had been going to Baffin and they're like, Oh yeah, you should get Lebecki to like figure all the logistics out. And I knew how to get a helicopter out there and all this stuff. And so I got kind of a cool opportunity to do that. Meet mm-hmm. Shane McConkey. Right. And, uh, so he and I connected really well and became friends on that trip. And, you know, obviously, you know, Shane or who he is at least. Yeah, I know, I've never, never just an incredible him. character who, I think we share a lot of um, just sort of being yourself kind of type people. And he, he just was a big inspiration to me. He really inspired me just to not only life, but the quality of this life. Mm-hmm. You know, it was pretty, pretty cool to hang out with that guy. And, and the whole team, like Miles Dasher, who's like has more base jumps than anyone. He's a, a good friend and huge inspiration to me about just asking that question, you know, the, the why ration passion kind of thing. So that was, it's really cool how each trip can change your life or that each, you know, you meet a new person that could change your path forever. And those guys really did mm-hmm. really pretty powerful. I mean, if you were in this era, like what your early twenties, twenties, yeah. you know, did you have in your mind, like a, a division, like, Oh, okay. I'm going to do these expeditions that, you know, like most people I'll probably do them for a little while and then I'll find something else to do. And like, was it that kind of thing? Did you have a sort of a, a backup plan or all oh, this will probably end sometime. And then, yeah. and then somehow you made this moment where you were like, Oh yeah, I think this may be just everything. You know, it was an interesting evolution that really was focused on on the now. I didn't really think about the future or the past. And I was, you know, on my own. And if I wasn't, you know, I'd be living in my truck or kind of standard as a lot of people get, but it was after that first trip to Baffin, then I started going to Greenland and then I started going to China and then to all these. And it just, it was like, Oh, if I could do one trip a year. And then I'm like, Oh, I, I bet I could figure out how to do two trips a year. And I'm like, Oh, maybe I could figure out how to do three trips a year. And it just kind of, you know, um, it just, it really was an organic enthusiasm Mm -hmm. is really the only way to explain it. You know, why do you, if I take my daughter to get ice cream, you know, why does she choose chocolate chip mint? And why do I choose chocolate and peanut butter? I don't know. It's just, that's what we love, right? Right. There's no real, how do you really get down to the bottom of why we make our choices? But I think that answer is organic enthusiasm. Like mm-hmm. you just, that's what you're stoked on. Right. You know, for whatever the sunsets, the climbing, the people, the flora, the fauna, the culture, whatever it is. Um, but it has a lot to do with that. Right. You know, but it, anyways, um, it really just did turn into a lifestyle and it's still that same thing, you know, add in family and a daughter and other things going on. And now her going on big trips around the world. And it just became a, uh, gosh, man, that's a great, you can get me talking all day with that question, but it just, you know, it's like Yosemite and then like, you know, go, let's go do first ascent. Let's plan our next big trip next year, next two trips and then back to Yosemite and then back to Utah to work in the winter mm-hmm. at the ski shop and just kind of this, this thing that just kind of evolved. And then I got fired 
from my job in Yosemite because I asked for time off to do another El Cap route. And my, my boss was like, you can have the time off if you go do the route you're not welcome back. And he was cool about it. He's like, you got to understand, we got to have you work. Right. It wasn't <laughs> he's like, like, he's like, we yeah. got to have you like on the, on the clock a certain amount of hours a week. And so it was cool how he, he sort of like, it's really interesting looking back on him. Cause he was a really, really cool guy. And, uh, him firing me or kind of making it clear that it's time to move on really set me straight to go and do more big trips. So then I started working in ski shops in the winter. Right. And then the rest of the year was just climbing and doing trips. Okay. You know? Well, it's funny you say that because, I mean, you know, people have heard me talk on the show about that era in Yosemite. And a um, couple of things that you were saying is one thing is that you were sort of divided maybe a little bit from, from like the hardcore wall crew that was in um, Yosemite that I've frequently complained about. Yeah. Um, you know, as being not very welcoming, not, not that open to like new people with new ideas walking in necessarily. Um, but also like, you know, with someone who works seasonally in maybe like the mountain shop, I think it's really easy just to, to get in a, you know, I'm back in Yosemite or I'm back in the same position over and over again. And maybe your boss is like, you know, kicking you out the door was finally like, yeah, you know, I don't, yeah, want, I yeah. don't want to see you back here again. Like, go do your thing. Like, well, I had, I had just gotten off, out, you know, you know, I would spend like a week climbing a route on El Cap, you know, kind of standard grade six style. And I had met, um, this Japanese woman named Misako mm-hmm. and she had just, like I mentioned earlier, she had just come in the mountain shop and she's, you know, looking in the guidebooks and, and she kind of politely says, you know, I'm looking for a partner for El Capitan and I'm like oh you know what route are you going to do and um, and so I was like hey I'd love to climb a route with you that sounds great you know and this was like strictly a climbing partner she was really cool mm-hmm. we've done trips around the world together and you know it's it's just a, a friendly climbing partner thing mm-hmm. it doesn't have to do with anything else um, but I was like oh hey you know this Japanese woman wants to do this route on El Cap and I really want to go and, and that's when he was like right. yeah you can go but you're, you can't come back right you know, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. Anyways. Well, just thinking about like paths and yeah, it's off, a, it, like, yeah. you know, you can look into a life and, and definitely find these places where either you made a decision or someone pushed you into making a decision. And maybe at the time you might've been like, Oh, well, how am I going to make money or, you know, or yeah. maybe at the time you're just like, great, I'm out of here. No, but, I always had a plan for how yeah. to make money. So um, you know, I'd always work seasonally. Mm-hmm. And so I knew about climbing and I knew about snowboarding and skiing because mm-hmm. that was my entire life. And so I knew I had a great job at <coughs> Snowbird in, in Utah. So I'd work all re- winter and then take off spring, summer, fall, and then come right. back, work all winter. And, and then end, ended up going to Alta, as I mentioned to you. So Little Cottonwood Canyon right. really has been you know, a big part of my life for a long time. So I want to get to, you know, climbing with your daughter and stuff like that, or, or not climbing necessarily, but doing your trips with your daughter. But I want to ask you a little bit about soloing. Um, I was a soloist on El Cap as well. Oh, nice. And, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a thing that a lot of people who either don't climb or even climb some, but have never soloed are a lot of times frequently interested in and, and you can get peppered with a lot of questions of like what the point was, mm-hmm. you know, and I can, I can wax poetic about it or I can just be like, well, you know, it was easier to not have to deal with a partner who 
whose schedule was different than yours. You know, I could just be like, all right, I'm going tomorrow and I don't have to negotiate with anybody. Um, but you know, I never, I sort of like dreamed of, you know, taking it to, you know, somewhere like Baffin or, or when we did go up to proboscis, you know, when I was on that trip, I was like, God, what would it be like to be up here by myself? Because soloing El Cap is one thing, but, you know, you're still sitting on a ledge watching cars drive by. and Yeah, you know. and you have a topo, and you yeah, have anchors, yeah, and yeah. you... there There's yeah. a challenge solo on El Cap yeah. when you have a, a map right. in pretty much every way, right? Yeah, so I kind of want to ask yeah. you a little bit about your soloing, because that's, you know, yeah, that yeah. map and trips and stuff weren't, aren't the only ones. Um, yeah, yeah. And it seems like, you know, you have this... You know, you have these great partners and you have this willingness to, to go with new people. But then at the same time, there's a part of you who either needs, wants, whatever, this solo experience. So what is the solo experience like for you and what, you know, what do you get out of that? Especially um, when you're in a place as far away. Yeah, as after, you know, sort of obviously kind of Yosemite being, you know, training grounds for everything, including soloing, rope soloing. Um, the reason I went to Baffin solo, it was 99, I did my first solo expedition, solo big wall, mm-hmm. first ascent. And um, I actually planned to go with a couple friends, and they ended up not being able to go. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go right. myself. Just, I know what to do. Yep. And so I, I went out. Of, I soloed one of the Fisher Towers, was my first solo for that exact reason. Yeah. Someone's like, yeah. I can't go. I'm like, all right, I'm going anyway. Yeah, so the universe sort of presented yeah, it, right? right? And um, But what I found... Okay, first and foremost, like the climbing part, right? To walk up to a huge wall and, you know, first ascent, complete mystery. So without mystery, there really is no adventure for me. Like that mystery is like the nucleus, right? So, um, but I knew what to do. And so, but aside from the mathematical aspect, the equation of soloing a big wall first ascent, what I really found was when I got there with the culture and I was by myself and not with partners or a team, they all of a sudden cared about me so much. Like, Oh, you're, you're by yourself. Like, okay. And then when we're traveling out a couple hundred miles on the frozen ocean with the dog teams and I'm with the Inuit, um, you know, they're, I'm sleeping with them in their place. I'm around their, their cook stove. Okay. Rather than you know that I was really brought in close like that. It was really felt like I was part of their family and that was incredibly powerful. And that experience of just, they're worried about me and they care about me when you're with a team or, or, you know, say you got three or four people, or let's say you're on a, a trip that has like a film crew, all these different things that happens. It's, black to white than if you're by yourself right. with huh. culture, with people, because then all of a sudden they're like, they just bring you in as part of their family. Yeah. There's like an and irony they, in that, right? The and solo every guy time part of it. Yeah. Because they're just, yeah. they're, they're like, what you're going to climb that up? Like they don't understand the, the mathematics or the, the we have details to, of rope soloing a big wall. Or we something. have to help this poor crazy no, person. But, but it was like that, <laughs> that more than anything to be brought in to feel like part of their family and to feel that they cared and to, to bond with them in that way. And the friends that I make and I care about, and I still stay in touch with from those solo trips are just huge power. I mean, just incredibly emotional, intimate times. And then of course, you know, so you've soloed big walls, you've solo cap, all that you, you understand a lot of the mentality and, and the, what it's like to be there by yourself. And it really puts on this, um, incredible challenge 
not of just how we know to place gear and anchors and upward pulling anchors and you know all the stuff that we know, but but the the team within yourself, the me, myself, and I, where I'm talking out loud and say, okay, am I double backed? You know, is my knot done right? Is my anchor upright? Okay, if I whip this upward pulling anchor, is it going to cut here? Should I clove hitch this like 20 feet out because I'm going to go over here? You know, all these different things you have to make a decision on your own. No asking your partner like, well, what do you think about, you know, it's like you have only me, myself, and I to double and triple check and really to double and triple check. You know what I mean? It's like now as I'm getting older, the one of the scariest solo things I've ever done was Afghanistan. And I had some hard decision-making. And I remember just, like, talking out loud, going, okay, like, what are we going to do here? Like, I'm literally saying we, you know. And it, it's not like some insanity or something. It's what it, what it takes to communicate to su- succeed on the, the objective. Right. I mean, it's like, obviously, we know within climbing what's more important than communication, right? You hand over your life to your partner. When you're solo, you're handing over your life to yourself to not make a mistake. Because it's going to be safe unless you fuck up. I mean, it's really kind of a wild subject. I'll, I'll kind of shut up now. But it's, it's quite fascinating to me, and it really has defined a lot of who I am, being friends with myself. I've never told anyone to stop talking about yeah. anything. On well, the I'm just saying because like, I'm rambling on, but it's like you <laughs> ask the question of the solo right, thing. We're here and, for the rambling on. And the this, this solo mentality, man, it's, it's especially if you're out, you know, you're, you asked earlier, okay, most of these trips are about climbing, right? Yeah. Well, one time I'm like, okay, I'm going to go cross this desert in western China. You know, it's like 700 miles. No one's ever crossed it. And I went by myself. And I had camels and I had some local Muslim uh, friends. But I was, you know, making all the decisions by myself. And just that solo mentality, I, I yearn to be out alone. Mm-hmm. And it has, you know, I've had people like, you know, are you antisocial? Are you an introvert? It's like, no, I, that challenge of being out there on your own, that you have to make every decision, especially a big first ascent, you know, big wall. There is an incredible joy of getting to the top and going, whoa, like, I don't have to lead any more pitches. Like, mm-hmm. here I am right now. Like, that was, now I, you know, I got to figure out how to get down. I, just that solo reliance. And, and it, it, gosh, man, it's multiple personality stuff for sure. Mm-hmm. But not in some freaky way, in a real way of communication. Right. Like, with yourself. It's, it's pretty intense. But I, I guess I just want to go back to... I've done solo trips all over the world. And yeah, I, I guess the way to explain it is 49% of it's been climbing, mm-hmm. but 51% are the people and being taken deep into their culture, into their family and sleeping with, you know, 12 people around a campfire in their yurt as to where if it was a team, we would be in our own tent over here, mm-hmm. you know, separated. And just that solo, I love going and just beco- becoming part of people's families. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful because um, that's pretty much how all cultures are. They're the most hospitable, wonderful, you know, kind of tribal or nomadic. I mean, they're just so loving and so caring. And I just ne- I've never felt a deeper connection than being alone right. on trips, you know, like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's, like I said, there's an irony in this idea that these solo trips have brought you like closer to these to these people, right? Yeah. You yeah. wouldn't, you know, and, and I even think about just traveling in general, whether it's, it's crazy expedition stuff or it's just anything else. As soon as you're with somebody else, you know, especially if it's a significant other, like you are a unit, you know, and that, and, and I, you definitely get even 
I think even if you're walking around and tourist in a city, you, you become a little isolated thing versus if you're walking around by yourself. Yeah, you it's know? true. Yeah, absolutely. Because you have to interact, you know, as you're yeah. as this lone person. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I just want, kind of wanted to... to, to no, know, it, I, I, I love talking about yeah. that too because it, yeah. it, it just, um, you know, I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I love going out alone and... You know, because by degrees it was so much more you know, out there than anything I ever did. But I, you know, I always got the same questions and the introvert thing or are you antisocial thing is really interesting because I think part of that person, the me, myself and I, one of those people in me is, is an introverted antisocial part. But most of my friends find it sort of ironic or strange because in so many other parts of my life like this, I'm like completely the networker, outgoing, yeah. gregarious guy. But that other that other person's in there too. And, and he was up on those walls and yeah. loved it and was like, I want to make all the decisions, you know. So I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting mix, I think, when when someone like yourself. I mean, you've done so many expeditions with people where it must have, yeah. you know, so that must have its appeal as well beyond just, Oh my god! I need someone to hold my, hold my rope this time. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, it's interesting because going out solo so many times. And then when you go with partners, you're like, Oh wow. Someone, I get someone to blame me. Right. Oh, like we're getting to swap pitches. I don't have to clean and lead every single pitch, sure, sure. which, you know, a 2000 foot wall end up being like 10,000 feet by the time you're done and hauling, zing, it zing, you know, that's what I mean. And hauling. Yeah. And so it's kind of like this incredible training in a way too, mm-hmm. where like you, you connect with partners like, Oh wow, I get to, we get to swap mm-hmm. on these things. That's kind of cool. But you know, there's, there's no comparison of the solo trips to with partners because it's equally as powerful with your friends out there, if mm-hmm. not more so. Those bonds that you make and, you know, like I said, when you hand over your life to your partner and vice versa, it's, um, you know, those, there's not any more powerful bond. I mean, that's as close as, you know, any relationship that you have. I mean, the only thing that I think it doesn't compare with is the relationship with my daughter. But, the, you know, those bonds on an expedition, especially when it's it's pushing trying to define the line between dangerous and too dangerous and you succeed on your goals and come home alive. It's, you know, as you know, as we all know, climbers that have been in those positions that those are powerful moments and bonds Mm -hmm. and friendships. Even if you don't talk to each other and you, you know, you haven't talked to them in a year or two or three, it's like you never, those friendships never go away. Right. You know, and so many people can, can relate with that, of course, you know. So with this uh, OECD, you know, this idea that you have uh, an addiction to this sort of thing. And, and I've, we've talked about this on the show, you know, many times. I bet. Yeah, of, I bet. I bet. And, and, and sometimes in terms of the negative, uh, you know, because obviously as soon as you talk about addiction, uh, you know, your, your mind goes to, well, drug addiction. And, and you know. Well, if you, if you look at addiction mm-hmm. in the dictionary. Right. It mentions the addiction as a negative aspect, like right. it's hurting your life or others. Right. So I think you have to call it a healthy addiction right. or just an obsession. Right. An because, obsession. because addiction really does say it's like detrimental or, and I don't, I don't know how this, you know, obsessive expedition climbing disorder really is negative. But if you think about it, um, 
there are compromises and sacrifices sure. to everything. Right. And I think even more so, anything worth doing is going to have compromise and sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's that, of course. Well, I, I, you yeah. know, and it does have the word disorder in it. So there is some, like, I mean, I know it's a, it's a goofy name. Well, and I, I yeah. just sort of made that yeah, up. Yeah, totally. yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, <laughs> but, you, but and, and, well, I guess the re- what I was getting at is, is that, you know, it can be. And I've, yeah. I've interviewed plenty yeah. of people on here who will openly say that, well, I, I missed out on this or I, you know, this sort of thing in my life. So I guess I'm asking you, um, you know, about that balance and whether or not it's ever been gotten so tricky that mm-hmm. you, you started to question it or, and if not, then how, how is it that you've created this balance? You have 11 year old daughter now. Well, she's 13 um, now. Or 13. Oh yeah. She just, she just turned ago, 13. Right? So yeah. I know they get, they well, get okay, here's touchy a- about that, but yeah. So tell, talk to me a little bit about balance because, but interrupt you real quick, but it's a question that a lot of listeners have, whether I'm interviewing Tommy or, or your friend Ethan, who, was, who talked about being on an expedition with you. Yeah. You know, people want to know, well, how is it that you, know, you find this way to have this life where, where those crushing things that everybody else worries about, yeah. you either manage them or you, you manage to, to not get overwhelmed by them or everything mm-hmm. else because i think that's such a big concern for the layman climber is i want to climb more but boy it seems like hmm. so anyway that well the balance me, thing is the first is thing that comes for. to mind from talking about this is how i've continued to make it a lifestyle for so long mm-hmm. and really what that started with and this is just the authentic organic of how it started um when i decided because you know I was starting my first year of college and all I could think about was climbing. I'd started climbing in the last year or two, recreational with friends. And I just wanted to move to Yosemite. And so I, I'll, this, this really is, is that I went over to talk to my grandmother, who was a big influence in my life. And I'm like, Grandma, you know, I, I just want to climb. And I just started, you know, college and da 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 not not exactly as simple as that, but basically that was the dilemma. Mm-hmm. And you know, she sat me down with a couple glasses of whiskey, kind of got excited about it. God, God damn it, Mike! You need to you know listen to your heart and that question why ration passion and the time is now. And she really started, but she was telling me all these things basically to follow my heart. But the way she explained that, she said, I had ten brothers and sisters growing up, living in North Dakota, working on a farm. If they didn't farm, they didn't eat. Ten brothers and sisters, right? She didn't get to go to school. She, and she explained to me through those hardships, she said, I didn't get to do all of the things I wanted to do. There are so many things I wanted to do in my life. And she got very sincere and said, you need to go do everything you want to do, no matter what. And so it kind of set the stage that I was doing it for her. Because she was, I mean, I grew up with her, and she was really close, and she was a big part of my life. I'm close with all my family, but my grandma Bertha was really powerful. And when she told me that story, especially saying, there's so many things in my life I wanted to do, and I didn't get to do them. Yeah, I had, you know, a nice family and kids and you guys, and but she had a rough life growing up. You know, really had to earn to live. And I, I'll, I just have never forgotten that, like, with, when I'm going out on a trip or I have challenges and I'm, you know, making things happen. I'm like, okay, I'm doing this for grandma Bertha. You know, like it really is this, like, 
just force like within me. And um, that, that's been a really a big part of it, to be honest, you know. And and then you get, I mean, we could go on and on, but that really gave me give, gives me the energy to to pursue that passion. Yeah, it's interesting you, you say know? say energy because uh, just you know I watched some of the the stuff, especially about you and your daughter, mm-hmm. um, and working up to to the expedition to Antarctica and stuff you know, and your commitment to her life and her school and her soccer. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, I think there's this one scene where you're driving in the car and just say something about Monday morning or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, you know, the, just the energy, you know, combined to run all those parts of your life. It's, it's got to be yeah. pretty, uh, you know, you got to dig deep for some days, I would imagine, to get it all done. Well, I mean, and that's, that's something good to talk about. So when it was just me and my own, and I'll say, when I say that, I mean before my daughter was born. Because then that's when, you know, if there's any true definition of responsibility in your life, that's when you have a child. Okay, now it's not just your life anymore. You're living for someone else. Uh-oh. I mean, that's very real. happened to me. Yeah, so congratulations, <laughs> by the way, yeah. because it's the best thing that's ever going to happen to you, in my right opinion. Up. Being a dad, is there's just nothing better. But, um, and I guess the easy thing, the, the, well, the most, the thing I need to say now, hands down, that's most important is after Lily was born, I'm bowing down in appreciation to her mother because I'm continuing to do the expeditions. I'm gone months a year and she's making sure that Lily is healthy and happy when I'm gone and now Lily has been to 17 countries. She's been to all seven continents. We're getting ready for another uh, three-week trip to Nepal soon. You know, not bad for 13 years old. Without her mom supporting and being there, none of this happens. Mm-hmm. And so really it's not, yeah, I work really hard to make this stuff happen. I plan. I, I, you know, I'm a stay-home dad when I'm not traveling. I do do soccer. I won Father of the Year Award. All this kind of stuff. But none of that happens without how, you know, her mom and her time and her energy and her focus and her support. Mm-hmm. And, and so really the appreciation that, you know, her, without her mom, none of this would have ever happened. Right. You know, I couldn't just go, hey, I'm going to Antarctica for two months. Oh, hey, I'm going to Greenland for six weeks. Oh, I've been home two weeks. Oh, I'm off to Madagascar. I'm off to Venezuela. I'm off, you know, I mean, just, and that's what it's like. I mean, I'm going, going, going. I mean, that's over 65 expeditions now that's if you do the math that's a lot of trips every year you know and so i'm just going to make that very clear that um you know her mom you know the support of her mom is really the huge appreciation Mm -hmm. you know and yeah i mean that that's really i work hard i can plan i can do and you know i work i don't have a trust fund right i don't have any family money at all um, I've worked for every single thing I've ever done, every single thing that I have. And um, at, there, at one point early on with the you know obsession to expeditions, I had over $42,000 on credit cards right. from expedition expenses. And I never worried about it. I came back and I'd work six days a week in the ski shop. Hey, I'll take your shift. I'll take your shift. I'll take your mm-hmm. shift. Head down for you know four and a half months back out on credit cards traveling around the world in the early days right you know and so that's one thing i i like to talk about because 
I found that there's a lot of haters out there. Yeah, well, when you said, <laughs> when, so, you, when you just dropped the trust fund thing. Because in. it's like, I've had people like, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's, uh, I, I'll, I'm going to tell you a quick story about it. So okay. I, I remember someone's like, oh, hey, um, somebody like was kind of, you know, giving you shit on Super Topo or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm well, like, oh. It's, we've so been look, down the Super Topo road. So, so I look it up and it's like, you know, the only reason Lebecki can do this is because he's got daddy's money and blah, blah, blah. And I, I really struck a, a nerve. Like, it really touched a nerve with me. Like, I was, I'm not this social media guy. And, like, I don't, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm in social media, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just sort of whatever. And, and to hear somebody slandering me that I don't even know who it is, and, and that I work my ass off mm-hmm. to make this stuff happen. I mean, there's no family money coming. I mean, like, no one pays for my trips but me and the outdoor community and grants that I've got and just, you know, really focusing on it. But I, so ended up, um, I don't remember the guy's name. It wasn't you, was it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, no, it might have so, been a minor version of me doing things like that. But, but no, so here's, yeah. so here's the thing. I went on Super Topo and I'm like, hey, I just saw that, who are you? Like, what's your name? Blah, 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 you know? Ended up getting his phone number, finding out somebody posted his number, and I called him. I wish I could remember his name. I'm like, hey, man, um, this is Mike Lebecki, and I, I saw that you just, you know, were saying that I, the only reason I can do this is because I have, you know, daddy's money and trust fund. I'm like, well, dude, I work my ass off. And if you saw my four credit cards right now, I'm like, I just want to let you know I, I think you're a dick for slandering me. And it was this powerful conversation because he was like, man, I'm, I'm going to apologize. I'm stuck in this job. I want to go to Baffin. I want to go to Greenland. And he's like, I just let my anger out on you. I took it out on you. And it was like this great conversation where we ended up being like, right on, dude. Like, you know, and having a positive ending. But it was... It was the first time I sort of got slandered about something I love to do. And I used to, you know, it was like, I guess I always felt like the climbing community is like all our bros and sisters and family and camaraderie and joy. And now over the years, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's some seriously angry people out there with a lot of shit to say. And it's like, we're all in this together in my mind. Like Mm. I'm, you know, this utter optimist of joy and, you know, and it's like, um, that was my first experience of being like, Whoa! Well, you know, way, like, I, I, anyways. Well, you know, I, you said you dropped it in the conversation a minute ago about the trust fund. Like, it's not a trust fund because, and I knew when you said that 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 there was probably a background because for whatever reason, it's like the it's the thing that makes people mad the most. And the other thing I was thinking is like, well, if so, what he he's. He's lucky. I mean, there's so many people that have some family money help, and they and they don't lead interesting lives at all, or they waste it, sure, or jerks, sure. or whatever. Absolutely. So if he's got a trust fund, like fuck you, too bad. Like that, he's doing great. And you're stuff, right. So, yep. You know, and we, I've had a listener or a, a guest on the show, um, Josh Wharton. You know, he, we talked about this during his interview as well because he gets accused of the same thing, and it turns out that you know his 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 his. his he does have a little bit of inheritance because his parents passed away. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so it's like, oh, we're, you're going to slander this guy because you know and his that's parents the thing. set to him up a little own. bit. Yeah, what, so. like, is it is you know? If it, I mean, I have friends that mm-hmm. climb and do certain things because they do have family support or money, mm-hmm. and but 
how can you slander or mock or give anyone shit about a position they're in? Right. I mean, if they're doing good things and they're yeah. li- if they're not hurting someone else, yeah. what really can you say about it? But anyways, that was kind of... That touched, and I'll never forget it because it really touched a nerve. Because I'm like sitting there, how am I going to pay off these credit right. cards? And like, and yet I'm like, oh, I'm going on another trip, getting another credit card, begging the bank to just increase it by five grand so I can go here. To each their own. But yeah. that all, I, it was ended up being a, a really positive mm-hmm. um, thing, actually. So yeah, well, speaking of positive things, um, you know, you you keep saying like how the daughter and this wonderful girl and this wonderful mom have changed your life um i do want to ask you a little bit and i asked tommy about this too a couple episodes ago is is what about risk and uh um i guess in in terms of of leaving uh you know going on these trips and you know, there's a myriad of stories that I've read, you know, the polar bears or the Taliban or the yeah, or just yeah, the climbing yeah, and yeah. the climbing on Choss. You know, the, the, the movie about Baffin last night was primarily about like the dangers of climbing on these these big Chossy towers sometimes. And so, yeah, it's a dangerous yeah. activity. What, what, what do you say about I guess know, speaking of the haters, that's a big one for, for parents who expedition or who climb. It's like, what about your kids and if you're gone and if yeah, you know, everything yeah. else? So, Well, I, okay, so that risk thing, I guess what I have to say really quick is that, you know, we just talked about the whole how the trips happen or getting slandered by trust, you know, about trust fund. Or, mm-hmm. um, I, I do want to just make it, you know, all of the appreciation to Lily's mom for the support, both when I'm gone or when Lily and I go and she supports that and trusts that. Um, I, I need to, to say that so many people in the outdoor industry that we all know, all the companies, all the grants, all the media, it's just, I have to throw a huge shout out to that, to everybody, because without that none of us get to do this none of us get to have these sweet cams mm-hmm. and carabiners that'll hold a car and the tents and so it's like i want to make it very clear the appreciation you know for for everyone you sitting here talking with me all the companies i mean it's like this community really does make it possible for tommy for everyone for you know people you've talked about for ethan everyone our community makes everyone else's success is possible mm-hmm. if you think about it you right. know and it's just that blows me away all the time that we get to go climbing and we get to have our first world problems mm-hmm. and you know i mean we're it's pretty amazing and so i just i just wanted to throw that out there because it's it's pretty special mm-hmm. you know that we're sitting here talking about climbing and going to watch some great climbing films this afternoon and i mean it's it's a sweet life well and i actually so anyways la- i just last, wanted to i had to yeah, get that no out worries. there you know so. well last night I, I i talked to cedar right on stage and and uh and made a joking thing because he just showed this video about flying in mexico and how they were like down there for months waiting for well weeks anyway waiting yeah. for the right conditions but flying every day in this sweet little town and i said yeah how many goats you know did you sacrifice to get this in your life and his joke was like He's like, some people have trust funds, you know, or, or rich uncles. And he's like, I just have Uncle North Face, like, yeah, you know, yeah. supporting my lifestyle and making sure I can yeah. do these things. So, um, and, no, it's and, true. And, you yeah. know, and you've been down this road as well where the, the sponsorship thing pisses people off for some reason as well at times and, and can be a, a, another negative thing to come at it. I, I guess there's some, there are definitely politics, but, you know, the companies I've, 
I work with, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to say sponsorship. That word right. doesn't exist. It's reciprocal relationship. Sure. Because we both work hard in a full circle. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of them, gosh, like Mountain Hardware, I've been with since 1999. I mean, going on, you know, 17 years. Cliff Bar, 17 years. I mean, long standing friendships and family type relationships where we are creating and celebrating joy and making a li- Everyone has to make a living. And so um, it's very real. You know, these companies are not companies, they're people, Mm -hmm. you know, like you and I working and creating joy. And and it's, uh, it's pretty special that we're part of it. Right. You know? So anyways. Okay. Go back um, to the risk thing. So you want to, so risk is now that this is a great subject because I know when my daughter was born, it was a, it was a really intense year because, um, I had just had the worst expedition moment of my life. I was out on a solo trip to Greenland, and um, I was out with the Inuit going to this fjord, a few hundred miles by boat, and I watched them murder a polar bear in front of me, and it was, like, devastating. You know, I, I was like, I'm going to die on this trip. Like, I just saw this beautiful, powerful, godlike beast murdered in front of me. You know I mean? It was still legal to hunt polar bears in Greenland. It still is today. And I just want to say there's no reason for anyone to be hunting or killing polar bears in today's day and age, even the Inuit people. You know, I mean, they're dying off. And so I grew up hunting. This is kind of getting off on another tangent, but there's just no reason to be killing polar bears. You know, they're disappearing. And the only little thing that gets me is I have so many Inuit friends and, you know, their tradition with grandfather and grandson going out to get their bear, you know, their polar bear. I get that because I did that with my family, getting your deer, you know, and it's just... Anyways, that reminded me of a of pretty interesting situation. So no fucking killing polar bears, you know. It's no, no need, no reason. Right. We're, anyway, but so that same year, that was very powerful. That same year my daughter was born and, you know, people around me said, okay, it's time to, you had your fun, right? you know, kind of thing. And it's like, well, what do you mean? I, this doesn't change anything. I mean, what do you, and so it didn't change anything basically. Um, I did as much or I did more trips, never, I've been doing more trips ever, ever since then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's never stopped. It's never changed anything. And that's why I say without the support of Lily's mom and family and friends, you know, that's really how I've been able to continue. Um, but you know, there's compromise and sacrifice. I mean, I miss my daughter. If there's, you know, like this film Pumaka, this jungle trip that we're going to see here at five point today, it was, it looks like it was really hard and just really suffering. And really the only hard part about any expedition for me is missing my daughter Mm -hmm. to be completely honest about it. It's like, that that's really the only part that sucks you know is just missing her and um her missing me you know calling on the satellite phone and i'm still going to be gone for three weeks and daddy you need to come home right now you need to come home right now and it's just but the there's a lot to talk about with that right i've been told that you know you know, okay, yeah, you, you know, you, you think you're this great dad and blah, blah, blah. Because I, I, feel, I feel like I'm a great father. But then are people saying, well, how great of a father goes out on suicide mission? And I'm like, you don't understand. It's mm-hmm. not a su- it's, it's actually 100% mathematically safe. You just can't fuck up. You just can't make any mistakes. 
people will debate that all day. Right, Anyone right, can right. debate that all day. But one of the things that as my daughter's gotten older, she, I, I think really the example, if anything else that I've set for her is you can do anything you want. It's going to take compromise. It's going to take sacrifice. Like anything worth doing. If you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a veterinarian, a humanitarian, you're going to have to commit to things and compromise other things, sacrifice other things. And so she has learned that I can do anything by example. Like, and I keep telling her, look, I followed my dream. I followed my passion. And that's for me. That's what I did. And so if she can follow her dream, her passion, which she wants to be humanitarian and save the planet, why not? Of course you can do that. Absolutely you can do that. There is not one reason why you can't do that. Well, I want to go ski in Antarctica. She went and skied in Antarctica. She wants to go climb Kilimanjaro. She went and climbed Kilimanjaro. I'm like, if you work hard, if you earn it, if you put in the time and the energy and the training and the focus and the commitment and set those goals, look what you've done already at 13 years old. And so I'm really proud of setting an example that no matter what your passion is, you can do it. You can. So the risk factor, you mentioned risk. So I'll talk about my daughter and being a dad and everything all day, but I will debate all day long that it's 100% mathematically safe, even if there was a run-in near the Taliban or a near-death experience, because I have to believe that. Mm-hmm. And there is no summit worth dying for. There is a value in defining that line between dangerous and too dangerous and looking over the edge of too dangerous and assessing the situation. But with or without a a child in my life, with or without being a father, there's no summit worth dying for either, Mm -hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. I want to be old. (laughs) <laughs> well, you've got 45 more expeditions to do or whatever, 35 more expeditions. So anyways, that's a fun subject because, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm really a proud dad, like any parent, mm-hmm. and just, um, you know, don't tell me how educated you are, tell me how much you've traveled is something I really love. I love, right. that, I love that quote a lot. And um, I think you understand that. I think people listening to this understand that whether it's in the in the states or around the world it's like travel is important getting out and traveling in nature and you're in the foothills near your house or the mountains near i mean it's put down the damn screens make a balance of it you know like get outside digital detox anyways this is like father stuff coming out now where it's like you know that we're talking about and making sure we understand and you know cool well i got a couple more questions what's up with the mass so the masks, um, <laughs> it's like, it's definitely, there's actually lead up to that with one of the things back on the, when I was looking at sort of the media and I actually, I actually just Googling, you ran it, you know, across the super Topa forum. There was actually a trust fund comment on there and, uh, but well, you saw it. Well, I think it, it might've been a different one. Oh, there, well, I've, but you weighed I've in. Got, there's haters. Yeah, okay. there's haters. But anyway, um, I mean, I was just like, yeah, whatever. It's the same bullshit I read on here all the time, yeah, yeah. but the, the, there was kind of just this comment of like you being sort of mysterious, um, which you sort of ex- sort of explained to me. Well, that makes sense because without mystery, there's no adventure. Right, and so, <laughs> but then of course every every if you Google uh, Mike Lebecki, um, you're actually 
the most important Mike Lebecki on the internet, by the way. You come up first. But anyway, there's the pictures of you and the mass. So uh-huh, let's talk about the mass real quick. So that's, a, that's one of my favorite <laughs> things. And I like talking about this because... Let me tell you why. Because what did you just do? You just laughed. Mm-hmm. So what this has caused ultimately is laughter. Whether you're laughing at me or with me. So without humor in our lives, what do we have? Right? If we're not having fun and joy and laughing, think about it. Like our lives would be pretty shitty, I think. Mm-hmm. Would, what, would we even exist if we didn't have joy and laughter? So that's a way that I've found. So in 1997, I went to do the regular route on Denali with a Japanese friend of mine. I'd never done anything like that. It was like getting the XGK stoves and making sure we can clean them and doing sort of an alpine style climb. And, you know, it was totally new for us. And we were like 20 or something like that. And um, so we got up to 17 camp. It was my, with my friend um, Hajime Kita Ore. And we got up to 17 camp and out of um, his sled, or no, out of his pack, because we left our sleds down at uh, 11 actually, maybe 14, left them at 14. But, and so out of his pack, he pulls out these full tiger suits. And I'm just like, whoa, like what? I mean, we're talking full head tiger, full suit tiger, you like know? Tiny tiger suit. Yeah, like Japanese thing, style. Yeah, but, right. and, and I'm like, what is this? This is incredible. Like, are you kidding? He's like, you're a tiger. We will climb Denali, year of tiger. You know, I'm like, yes, dude. Yes. So we, we literally like going from 17 camp to the summit, you know, summit day in our tiger suits. And uh, we pass a couple guided parties and, you know, the guides are sort of mocking us like, you know, what do you guys do? You know, like, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and so we had people laughing at us and with us. And what, here's what happened. It reminded me and has never stopped reminding me, don't take life too fucking serious. Laugh at life. If there's a huge problem, a huge situation, let's just kind of laugh at it a little bit and realize we're spinning on this planet in space and like laugh, you know? And it just really, that's what it, it's brought to me is don't take life too serious. Let's laugh without humor. What do we have? We should be laughing. Are we having fun? Are we having fun? You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just become a tradition ever right. since then. Yeah. So going on 20 years now, right? What year are yeah. we in right now? Uh, right now is. Oh, you're the monkey. You're the monkey. Nice, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a t-shirt on for you podcast <laughs> listeners that says "You're the monkey" on it. And I also make t-shirts every year, and it, okay. it's just become a cool um, theme and fun, and to get the new mask. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny. So when I soloed the ship's prow in 1999, it was Year of the Rabbit, and I was climbing capsule style, of course, mm-hmm. and. Um, I didn't realize I was going to make it to the summit on the, I was fixing these pitches and it was really snowy and there was ice and, um, I continue, had some good energy and, and, um, I ended up making it to the top without your mask, without the mask. <laughs> and so I fixed the lines, went, went back down, bivy for another day, got my, because my mask wasn't mm-hmm. with me, got my mask, went up the next day and, and I just was like, I can't do it without the mask, you know? And it was it's just been a fun goal. Well, let me let me yeah. tell you something else about that one. I think maybe because of Donnie Darko, that mask it was a little more creepy than funny. I'm just going to warn you. Which one? The the rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> there's some and, and it's just you that know, one just came across a little little funky. And here's the thing, you know, now um, you know my entire lifestyle is exploration and climbing and adventure and mm-hmm. the outdoor industry and media. 
you know, working with, you know, with National Geographic and all the different genres. And it still is, you know, these masks, it's, it's still all part of it, Mm -hmm. you know, and it really is a reminder to laugh, you know, to not take things too serious because yeah, that's important. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up, get you to the uh, festival and see your film on the screen. What else, uh, what else you got? Is there something else you want to, um, convey to the people watching your expeditions, the people wanting to emulate some of your lifestyle. Um, cause I think that's a big part of the listenership, you know, obviously we did, all of us don't want to just go full bore, but we want this adventure yeah. in our life. Yeah. I think, I think that remembering that any one of us who are doing these expeditions or any, anybody that you hear about or see or read about or climbing or, or even mountain biking, surfing, anyone who really has this adventure lifestyle that sort of seems like, whoa, you know, like I want to go on these adventures and stuff. There really is a lot of compromise and sacrifice and, and, you know, that really goes into making it happen. It's, it's, um, and it's also, I think you've got to realize there are no excuses. The reasons you have for not going really are excuses if you really want to go on these adventures. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to say, well, I can't because of this or my job or this, it's like, though, if you really want to go on some of these adventures or at whatever level, you know, and people might not like this, but I, I hear a lot of excuses mm-hmm. of not to go and to really, I, I hope people realize that the time is now and that, you know, I think, um, I want to be on that deathbed scenario where the nurse is asking, you know, what did you wish you had done differently? And not a fucking thing, you know, and that's for me personally, but anyone's relative relationship with the things they want to do, I think that there are a lot of excuses and that, um, I, I think so. I, that might sound kind of negative, but I feel like people need to break out and go get it and do it. And yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to, this is something I, um, I was thinking about a while back and this is sort of a fun little quote that I like to say. And I was reading about Einstein and he gets this, uh, the credit for saying, you know, cold doesn't really exist. It's just the absence of heat. Well, I think that negativity and stress doesn't really exist. It's just the absence of optimism and joy, you know, and with that optimism and joy, you can, you can do anything. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot yeah, for sitting yeah. down. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I, I shot it. I really just hit hit Mike up out of the blue with a with a um, with an email and and got one of the more enthusiastic responses. But there's one I've thing I've got to say that you oh. got. It. So, hey, Lily, it's your dad. I love you and I miss you. Hope you're loving life and that you're crushing the soccer game. See you soon. <laughs> thanks, Mike. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Mike for sitting down. Again, very enthusiastic guy. Very enthusiastic to do the Enormacast right out of the gate. So that was awesome. And uh, he's the real deal. So check him out. I thought he was mysterious, but uh, if you Google Mike Lebecki, there's actually just a ton of compelling video and everything else to watch. And the guy really has been everywhere. Yeah, so check it all out out there. Okay, folks, I spent the whole intro talking about uh, sponsors and donations and all that sort of thing, and I forgot to tell you something I forget to talk about all the time. 
t-shirts. Adiac.com, A-D-A-Y-A-K.com, the NormaCast t-shirts. Check them out. My t-shirt game is its not amazing, but uh, very kind people have tried to help me out with my t-shirt game, and I've mostly not taken them up on it because I'm stupid and lazy is what it comes down to. But they're out there. Go check them out. Am I not selling the t-shirts very well? Have a look for yourself. You can also uh, just click on the banner at enormacast.com. The t-shirt banner will take you there. Yes. Also remember, you can send an address for free stickers. Please print the address in the email as it would go on the envelope with your name on it, just exactly the way it looks on the envelope, especially you folks from other countries. And then I can just cut and paste. Very simple, very easy for me. Chris at enormacast.com. Send it there. Okay. Mike Lebecki's catchphrase is don't ration the passion. The Enormacast's catchphrase is, of course, say it with me now, check your fucking knot, yo. Feel pretty good. Not, uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of, feel kind of invincible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good. Me too. Yeah. It's getting hot in here. Is it just me?